0: Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.
2: Welcome to our Everything is Better with Creators Beyond Disability series. In 2022, Whaler joined forces with C-Talent, a Can Lion winner and one of the top management and consultancy companies representing high profile, deaf and disabled talent. I'm Ashley Rudder. And in this series, we're on a mission to change the way people view and define disability. I will interview top C-talent creators and global thought leaders from across the disabled community to start difficult conversations, to raise awareness, and acknowledge the lives of disabled people. Now. Let's get these conversations started. Welcome to the Everything is Better with Creators podcast. On these Beyond Disability episodes, we speak with C-Talent and Whaler creators to gain insight into what it's like to live with a disability and raise awareness of the issues affecting the disabled community. Before we get going, we want to let you know that a transcript of this podcast is available on our Everything is Better with Creators link tree, so feel free to read along with us. I'm Ashley Rudder, your guide to all things happening in the creator economy. Every week, myself or my colleagues, Jamie Goodfriend or Emma Harmon will be hosting this podcast. Today, we're incredibly honored to be speaking with Judy Human, who has often been called the mother of the disability movement. Judy has been a disability rights activist since the early 1970s and has been present at almost every significant development and turning point in the movement. She has worked with governments, NGOs, and nonprofits to help develop significant policies and human rights legislation. Among other things, Judy has served as President Clinton's Assistant Secretary of Education for Special Education and Rehabilitative Services. She was also prominently featured in the 2020 documentary, Crip Camp, which traced the impact of a summer camp for disabled children that served as a springboard for the disability rights movement. Judy is also the host of her own podcast, The Human Perspective, where she interviews disabled changemakers and allies discussing social justice, culture, entertainment, policy, and advocacy. And with Judy, that's just scratching the surface. In this episode, we'll be talking to Judy about her career shift from the White House to social media and why she thinks social media is the best platform for disabled and non-disabled creators to be the effective change in politics and media today. So let's jump into it as we explore the past, present, and hopefully bright future of the disability rights movement. Judy, oh my goodness. Welcome to the Everything is Better with Creators podcast. How
3: are you? I'm so good, and it's great to talk with you, Ashley. Oh
2: my gosh, I am thrilled to have you here today, but before we get started, let's give our visual descriptions for our audience. So hello everyone, I'm Ashley Rudder, I'm the head of creators at Whaler and also host of Everything is Better with Creators. I am an African American woman with uh, long braids, I'm wearing a white blouse, I'm in a white room with a small plant and a picture of... um, a gold imagery behind me and I'm sitting on a uh, a leather couch and I'm wearing rimless gold glasses and
3: Judy I'll g- give it to you. And she's also got very nice earrings on.
2: Oh, well thank um, you. Oh, thank
3: you Judy. Yes, yeah, so um my name is Judy Human and I am a 74-year-old white woman. I had polio in 1949. I use a motorized wheelchair. I my I think Red glasses are something I've worn for decades and it's been interesting <laughs> for me as red glasses come in and out. I continue with my red glasses. I have um, brown highlighted hair and today I am wearing a t-shirt and it's a Paralympic t-shirt and we're in the foyer of my husband in my apartment where we have a lot of plants and family photos and postcards and other things like that.
2: That's wonderful, and yeah, and I'm filling those red glasses, Judy. Um, I, I have a very fond memory of red glasses. I was, I've worn glasses since I was in the third grade, and um, I'm probably dating myself a little bit here. But uh, Sally Jesse Raphael was the it, the it woman around uh, eyewear, so I had to get a pair of red glasses because it, I just had to look as cool as Sally Jesse Raphael. And you look just as cool as she as she does. So. Well done. Well played cool glasses. <laughs> but yes, let's get into it, Judy. I mean, come on. Like the fact that I am on the podcast with you right now, I'm absolutely thrilled. I want you to walk. I mean, because for those who don't know, Judy's considered to be like the mother of the disability movement. And I really want to talk to you about all of the things and how you've leveraged social media to help raise awareness, but let's just like start on a bit of a backstory. I would love for you to walk us through some some key moments and um, tell us a little bit more about you.
3: Yeah, so uh, first of all, I really need to say that maybe I'm called the mother because I'm at this point one of the older people with disabilities who've been involved in the movement. But I think as everyone knows, no one person makes a movement. And I think for me, what's been very exciting over the course of my lifetime is to really see the growth of our movement and the expansion Mm -hmm. of across disability movement, which when um, I was in college, well, really, I guess in elementary school, I started to recognize the importance of working beyond the label of my disability. So I had Mm -hmm. polio but very early on I was meeting a lot of people who had cerebral palsy and people with cerebral palsy were not and still aren't in many ways seen as members of our society overall that can make equal meaningful contributions. And that was Mm, something uh that was really clear to me when I was already nine years old and finally started going to school with kids mainly who had cerebral palsy and a number of whom had speech disabilities and how they would be um, not really recognized or listened to. So for me, it started really early in recognizing the importance of really uh, valuing the words that people had to say and that those words could be expressed, these thoughts and other things could be expressed in very many different ways.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, that's a lot of you know what I've learned and as I've made more friends um, over the course of my life and both here in the United States and around the world to really recognize the common uh, thread of discrimination that we have faced
2: mm-hmm. and
3: to learn from each other about Different approaches that we've been taking um, in order to really break down barriers. Today we call it ableism, we used to call it handicapism, mm. and uh, what we are doing to continue to expand our movement and become stronger voices, both individually and collectively.
2: That's incredible. And, you know, I feel like there's been a big theme around language. And um, around the disability movement, and like you said, the, having these evolutions of words that, um, you know, keep evolving and more accurately de- describe what's going on um, uh, with the fight against uh, discrimination and, and the community. Like, tell me more about, because I'm super interested, when I was reading your bio, I was like, oh my goodness, the fact that you um, worked with the Obama administration, you worked with the Clinton administration, what was that work like, and what are some of your more proud moments?
3: Well, first, um, I started working in the Clinton administration in 1993. Before that, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, then I moved and I was involved in, uh, both litigation Mm. uh, because I had sued the board of education to get my teaching license, um, and to be a teacher. I'd also been involved with other disabled people in the New York City area on setting up an organization called Disabled in Action. Mm. So I was learning at that point about how to come together, how to express ourselves, how to uh, really feel more empowered. And uh, we could talk later maybe about other things that we were doing at that time. But Mm -hmm. um, very much when I went to work in the Clinton administration, I had moved to Berkeley in 1993 Hmm. and I had done an internship, a regular job at the, in in the U S Senate working for a Senator, but then had been really, um, heavily immersed in working in a few nonprofit organizations, Mm, one being the center for independent living in Berkeley, which was the first organization of its kind globally and uh, then setting up another group called the World Institute on Disability. And I mentioned these because these were, as I was saying, organizations that were created and run by disabled people. And our work was working directly with disabled people um, on empowerment issues and helping people be able to move and live in the community as they wished. But it also was very much working in public policy and with city government and county government and state and federal government, but it was as a disabled advocate with other disabled advocates. Mm-hmm. So we were working on influencing government. And when I was offered the position with the Clinton administration, it meant that I was leaving my role in the nonprofit world and moving into government, which... I see meant a lot of things. One is that there were very few disabled people working at the Department of Education. There were about 5,000 employees.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: I was um, well for your audience in the States, it's called assistant secretary. In other countries, it might be called a deputy administrator okay. um, or deputy minister. And I, I had a staff of about 400 people. Now in my area, we had a number of disabled people, but in the department overall, not that many, certainly people that disclosed. Now that was a very big issue because um, moving from being with disabled people and advocating as the essential part of our work and then going into government, working on development of laws, implementation of laws and rules, grant-making, etc. cetera, uh-huh. um, there always was a shadow, sometimes not such a shadow, of ableism uh-huh. that was happening. I was believing it was happening and how to figure out how to work effectively in an environment where it was my job to be able to really advocate as powerfully as possible with my team of staff and the department itself. And then we, of course, were working with uh, our US Senate and House of Representatives. So I would say that was one of the big challenges Mm -hmm. was being able to assume my position and carry it forth in the way that I felt it needed to be done And at the same time, dealing with issues around low expectations, day-to-day kinds of discrimination that were going on that people didn't acknowledge, understand. And at the same time, having a great platform was one of the best Mm -hmm. jobs I ever had because now I was in a position overseeing many things going on for the entire country. So it also meant that I was bringing the voices of disabled people into the department to meet with Mm -hmm. staff, to meet with others, to attend meetings, um, to um, get people in our agency and other agencies really learning more from the disabled person's perspective, from the parent's perspective, Mm -hmm. what was really going on around implementation of our laws. So it was challenging, but I loved it. I learned a lot. I believe I had helped assemble a senior leadership of people in our office that was doing great work. So that was wonderful. And at the same time, I think, because I did a lot of traveling, visited many schools
1: mm-hmm. around the
3: country and met with all kinds of people, that you know, one of our clear messages was and is uh, the importance of the voices of disabled people and where children are involved, their parents, mm-hmm. and to give people the due respect that they needed and that our laws needed to be implemented. Implementation is a big thing for me. Uh-huh. So that right. was some of the Huge. big important. But then the Obama administration was very different because then I was working in the U.S. Department of State And uh, so that was international work and one of the big roles I was playing there with my much smaller team was getting people in the state department, which I think is like 50,000 people and our embassies around the world Uh to really understand who is the population of disabled people, which you and your listeners know is very diverse. Mm -hmm. And depending on the communities you live in, the countries you live in, um, there have been more or less opportunities that people have been afforded. But really, it was another wonderful job because, again, uh, required teaching and learning, my needing to learn about what the State Department was and how it operated, and my team being able to be available to help out Um, across the department, as well as to be really uh, pushing uh, forward on getting uh, what we call a disability lens on the work Mm. of the State Department and others. So I would say those two jobs and a few others, one of the, the big issues has been, how do you help ensure that people are learning what they need to learn where their specialty is not disability, but where they recognize that disability is an essential part of whatever they're doing so if they're working for example on prevention of violence against women, are they including disabled women are they recognizing that non-disabled women who experience violence very frequently have other have disabilities later on, whether it's PTSD or physical disabilities or a combination Mm -hmm. of things? And what are we doing as an example in the women's community to really help ensure that both disabled women are meaningful parts of what's going on, but how do we also make sure the voices of newly disabled women are included? And what do we do to ensure that programs like the State Department and other governments have internationally Working on issues of prevention of violence against mm, women, mm-hmm. really are including this population. Are shelters, wheelchair accessible? Um, mm. Are sign language interpreters available? If someone is blind, has an intellectual or mental health disability, um, are they allowed to come into the programs and given meaningful supports?
2: Ready to pop the question?
0: Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.
2: Incredible, incredible work. Like, I mean, and you, within all of that, again, you're like weaving in TED Talks, you're weaving in um, all sorts of things. I mean, and, and I'm obsessed with, again, the fact that you, you wrote, you've written two books. You've, are in film Oscar award nominated, I mean, come on, everything is, is like, you are really using every medium possible, Judy, like how is, how, how has that been and how has your disability affected
3: um, some of that work? So I think, you know, it's very important that um, the book, the movie, all these things Mm -hmm. were things that came to me, I didn't go out and seek it. So the film, uh, a dear friend of mine, Jimmy Lebrecht, who's one of the um, directors of the film, he went to Camp Ed, I went to Camp Jened, we became friends and he became a sound engineer and then was obviously very involved with film and documentary filmmaking. And it was his wow. idea with a colleague, Nicole Noonan, Um, and Jimmy's wife, who was also in the industry before they were married, Sarah um, Boulder, to make this movie, Crip Camp. And I was very fortunate to be able to be involved with them as they were creating their vision of how they wanted the movie to move forward and then to be, I think, play a meaningful role in the film itself. And the the books, again, um, people had been asking me to write a book for many years, and I never felt that I was capable of doing it. And I was reached out to and ultimately um, found a co-writer, Kristen Joyner. Um, And so being able to work with someone else who was a very good writer was very helpful for me. And so the adult version of Being Human and then the young adult version of Rolling Warrior Uh, we did together. And, you know, I've always done media because, Mm. you know, getting back to when I had the lawsuit against the Board of Education uh, in New York City, Uh the reason that really, I think, moved forward was I knew someone who was disabled, who was a journalism major in the school that I went to. And he uh, was speaking to one of the reporters about what was going on. And the reporter wrote a piece. And the next day, the New York Times did an editorial. And that same day, I got a call from a lawyer who was writing a book on civil rights, who had never thought about including disability, and called me to talk about disability as a civil rights issue. And then that day, I got a call from a show in the United States called The Today Show. And I was like 21, 22 years old. I'd never done any of this stuff. So, it really kind of uh made me make a decision early on that our voices were not being heard well and still aren't being heard the way they should be, and that I wanted to be a part of that change
2: that, again incredible, incredible work, Judy and like and I just love the fact that um, the film Crip Camp came from such a beautiful. Or origin of, of real experience and real friendship. That's so, that's so, so amazing. I love it. So definitely, definitely. So tell me this, how are you balancing all of your personal interests with your advocacy work and um, your partnership with all of, um, again, with all of this media production? How do you balance it all?
3: Probably <laughs> not nearly as well as I would like to. Because I work a lot of hours and have a great team of people that I work with. And my husband's always, you should just say no, just say no, stop at a certain (laughs) time. And I kind of can't do that. So um, when I left the Obama administration um, in the United States, um, we have civil servants and what we call political appointees. I was a political appointee, which means that when the party that you're representing in this case, the Democrats um, and Hillary Clinton lost. So my job ended and I needed to do, I, I didn't want to retire. I was 69, but mm-hmm. retirement was something I couldn't begin to think about. So I pivoted wow. to social media and it really was, it was after I had done the TED talk and I, when I started to work on the book and Shifting into uh, social media was very important to me, and I was really fortunate to find a really wonderful woman to work with who had studied international rights, never learned anything about disability, but knew a lot about social media.
1: Mm, so that's amazing. when we started
3: uh, doing face um, podcasting. We did what? Yes, sorry. They stumble on this one. Um, We were doing Facebook Lives is how we started. And the reason I wanted to do more social media is I wanted and still want to bring the voices of disabled people primarily, and some non-disabled people who are working as strong advocates with disabled people. I want their voices to be heard. For me, I think the general audience of disabled and non-disabled people can learn from the stories of other people. So that's really a lot of what I try to do is let other people have their stories come forward and look for stories that are not all on the same path, but many, many different types of stories People of different ages and different disabilities and different skill sets and interests. Because ultimately, what we're trying to do is influence people's thinking to understand that disabled people want to be able to be respected in our communities and be able to contribute.
2: 100%. I love it. Now, I want to transition into. C-Talent and how C-Talent has influenced your your story. How did all of that, how did you get affiliated? How do you find out about C-Talent? How did they find out about you? I don't know which one came first. Tell us.
3: I think C-Talent reached out to us. Um, and that's because, you know, they were following social media. Uh, Keely was, um, <laughs> Keely was, you know, up and coming, couple of years ago, building her company. And Mm -hmm. uh, as a disabled woman, I was very interested in the work that she was doing because disabled women, disabled women. Um, So that very much um, Mm. allowed this union to move forward. I think they've been doing a really great job. Keely is really a very dynamic, as you know. Yes, she is. A woman who's got a clear vision on what she mm-hmm. wants to be moving forward. And I think what's very important about the work that she and her team have been doing is really continuing to demonstrate how much there is out there to do. Truly, truly.
2: She is so inspirational in sense of uncovering the work that needs to be done while also celebrating what has been done and she inspires us all all the time and her team is exceptional when we discovered c-talent and then of course once whaler acquired c-talent we were thrilled to be able to have that type of um insight and partnership um, with her and her team they're truly truly exceptional and again you are a banner example judy of the roster that they have um as c-talent so again like Excited to hear that—that was the genesis of that relationship. So cool, so cool. So to wrap all the things up, I always love to ask, what advice would you give? And Judy, like you have, you're thriving. I want to know, like, please tell us, how do you, how, what advice would you give to new creators or new um, advocates out there that are ready to use their platform to raise more awareness?
3: I mean, I would say it's a combination of people that are entering and people that are in. Um, The voices of disabled people and our views are still not seen and heard across media as they should be. There's a lot of good work going on from many dedicated people creating uh, numbers of disability rights organizations like Forward Doc and... um, Uh, ramped in the music industry. Mm -hmm. Those, I think, are very important. And then, of course, all the great people who themselves are involved in social media and in theater and in journalism. There's just growing voices of people, which is wonderful. I want to say that um, I think it's very important for us as disabled individuals, regardless of our age, to really be able to think about what do you want the world that you live in to look like? And what role can you be playing both individually and with others to really continue to transform our societies? We have many challenges and many more that are coming forward, like the global warming and environmental issues, Uh new disabilities that people are acquiring as a result of some of these major changes. We've never really been involved, for example, on environmental issues. And I think um, we need to be able to play a more influential role in politics at the local levels, the state levels, national levels, and have our voices heard. And for me, I'm very much one that doesn't like to do things alone. Um, I think it's so important that we learn about each other from each other and look at creating agendas moving forward that we can really help drive forward. So for me, is, it is think broadly, be able to tell your story. Our stories sometimes are very painful to tell but the value, I think, of being honest about your stories. And for me, actually, they keep changing. The more public speaking I do, the more I look at some issues that I never looked at the same way before and allow people you know, to understand that you know, we have masked a lot of our feelings um, because we didn't feel that things were possible or that we were valuable enough. Mm -hmm. But what we've learned over the last number of decades is all of that is wrong. And I guess one other final question or comment, one other final comment is disability is different because we're not all born with our disabilities Um, Mm -hmm. and we don't choose disability, when it is and what it is and what it's gonna look like. So we need to be there to help others who may not yet have a disability recognize the importance of them supporting our movement because it is their movement also.
2: Exceptional, exceptional close to this. Such beautiful insight, Judy. It's so true. And I'm excited again about all of the capabilities that social is uh, giving to the disability community and leveling the playing field and creating a space where um, more voices can be elevated, more voices can be heard, and I'm sure that people feel empowered and encouraged from, from those words to do so. So thank you so much. And thank you for your time today, Judy. This was such a wonderful interview and I just can't wait to see what else unfolds
3: with you in your journey. Thank you very much. It's great to see you, Ashley.
2: Thank you for joining us on this episode of everything is better with creators beyond disability series. To listen to more episodes, check out everything is better with creators on all podcast channels.
1: target.